You're needy. <laughs> Did you say meaty? You're meaty. Meaty. <laughs> meaty. I mean, you're also a bit meaty. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, what? Define meaty. You're meaty. You're girthy. <laughs> what? Well, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Patrick. You're a twink. My bad. You're so skinny. You're disappearing. I can't even see you. Where are you? Where's Patrick, everyone? <laughs> Um, how do we start these things? I don't even. Hey, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Ellen Marsh. Hi, Patrick. Girl, we made it two episodes face to face, and now it's the quarantine, and so now we are not together anymore. I know. I mean, we are together. We're always going to be together. You're like a scar, ugly and permanent, but, um... I know. Uh, I've really, really taken you through it in just just in our prep time, honestly. <laughs> you guys, welcome to episode three of Obsessed with Disappeared. Obsessed Here we are, girl. with Disappeared. Where are they? Where are they? Where the hell are they? Oh, my God. Are we just jumping in? Is this what we're doing? Let's just take a leap together. So it's Disappeared, episode three. It's called A Fateful Meeting, and it's the case of Amy St. Laurent. Amy St. Laurent. Not French. Deceiving last name. Not French at all, actually. I do wonder about those last names. I do wonder. like, And it's not. I actually was like, when I was taking notes, I was like, is it S-A-I-N-T or just S-T period? Girl, it's S-T period. It's S-T period. You know what? I mean, like, we could go back, but it's just some pilgrims shit right. you know <laughs> you you really are a wealth of knowledge of american history <laughs> thank you <laughs> Oh my god! I was actually FaceTiming with my girlfriend, and I told her that she looked like an 1800s picture of like a woman who like had consumption because like she's Uh been inside all day. And I had to Google when people got consumption. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. What century is the 1800s? Well, I know. I don't know either. It's the 17th century, right? (laughs) Isn't it one off because the 1900s were the 20th century? Is it the 17th or is it the other way though like right now we're in the 21st century (laughs) yes yes look we gotta just get into it there's no easy way this is a dark and sad one a young and vibrant 25 year old woman goes out on the town and never returns the more you learn about amy saint laurent the more you realize there's a problem here that she's not missing by her own choosing is she being held against a will somewhere is she injured somewhere I think I knew that something horribly wrong had happened to her. As a massive police investigation closes in on a suspect. I didn't have a good feeling about him. He has an extensive criminal history. Everywhere he's gone, he's been trouble. Amy's family tries to maintain some hope that she's still alive. I kept thinking that she was going to see the poster and just laugh at us and be like, I just saw myself on a missing poster. What's going on? You kind of feel like you're... In a dream or a nightmare, your world is kind of crashing down around you. This young lady basically drops off the face of the earth. Where is she? It's on our minds all the time. Everybody wanted to find Amy. So it's Saturday, September 29th, 2001. We're in Fort Myers, Florida. And, you know, this is three weeks before Amy goes missing. And Amy is on a vacation. And her sister tells us Amy was very excited to be going on vacation. Right. So her sister's name is Julie St. Laurent. Again, she's very sweet. She's going to give us a lot of information later in the episode. 
episode. She lived in Maine. She was from Portland, Maine, and she was planning a trip to Fort Myers, Florida. I love this about Amy, that like Amy was on a mission. Amy is recently out of a relationship. She has a friend who I think she went to high school with or something in Fort Myers, Florida, whose wife sadly recently died. And Amy is like hightailing it down to Florida to see if there's relationship potential. Amy actually knew a gentleman down here whose wife had passed away. And it was a friend, a close friend of Amy's. And Amy, I think, actually had a crush on this gentleman. And she went down to Florida to see him. Girl, you go get it. When I decided it was time for me to meet my husband, I went out and found him. You got to go looking, you guys. How did you meet your husband, Patrick? Well- <laughs> It is 100% because of me. But I digress. I digress. It's not all about me. We're talking about Amy St. Laurent. Okay. Yeah. Well, she gets down to Florida. And this is like the beginning of my millions of questions. She yeah. gets down to Florida. And it, it seems almost like within minutes, she's bored with the guy that she went to see. Which we don't even know his name or anything. But it's like, he's the whole reason we're here. And we never hear from him again. Yep. 100%. And she instantly starts hanging out with his like next door neighbor, Eric. Eric Rupert? Am I pronouncing that right? I believe you are. He's 27. Right. And they hit it off right away. He takes her on his motorcycle. I know. They hit it off and they had a good time. I think he took her on his motorcycle. The two struck up a friendship. I would describe it as Eric maybe had a liking to Amy, maybe had a little crush on Amy. The thing about this Eric guy is that we get the sense that he immediately falls for her. And she's like, no, girl, like, I'm not into you. But like, thanks for the motorcycle ride. Right. So then we find out that Amy worked at a place called Pratt and Whitney, which was an aerospace manufacturer. So then we find out that she and Eric have been staying in touch via email and he sent her flowers. But she's for sure not feeling it. Right. For sure. And I think that like it's that thing that a lot of people do where it's like, I met this guy Because I was bored with the other guy that I went to see. So I hung out with his friend and now his friend is emailing me. And I guess I'm a nice person. So I'll just respond to the email. Yes, exactly. Every girl has done that. It's like, you know, you're like, I don't want to. Okay, I'll marry you. That's not limited to the girls. I've responded to plenty of emails that I was kind of like, I hope this doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then Eric is like, hey, can I come up and visit you in Maine? After a few letters back and forth. Eric asks Amy if he can come up to Maine to visit her. She was concerned because she was pretty emphatic that this was nothing more than a friendship and thank you for for showing me Florida type of thing, where he expressed that he wanted to try to build a relationship with her. And I think that was not what she wanted. So that's a bold ask, don't you think? Absolutely, especially if you're not vibing. He's clearly, like, pushing this relationship in his head along. And she even says that despite her reservations... Despite her reservations, Amy agrees to let Eric come up and stay with her in Maine. How do you not, as the guy in this situation, be like, look, I was thinking about planning a trip to Maine and I'm going to stay at a hotel and maybe we can hang out while I'm there. Like, And this is just the beginning because I feel like I'm like Eric in a lot of ways. Eric has no game. He's got no game. No, none whatsoever. (laughs) Like, he sent her flowers, and like, even when they describe it, they made it sound like it was awkward, as if he sent her flowers. She's like, thanks? Like, with a question mark? (laughs) You know what I mean? He probably way overdid it and sent like four dozen roses or something horrible like that. I know. So, he asks to come up, again, to your point, very weird. Yeah. And they say, despite her reservations, she lets him come up. Which brings me to a very important life lesson. And my life lesson is when your gut says something, 
just listen. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And also, like, if you're a dude and you're trying to, like, look, I I appreciate a certain level of, like, I don't like the word persistence, but I, a certain level of, like, I'm really into this girl. I want to let her know how much I like her. But if you're traveling to, like, her home state, offer to stay at a hotel, yeah. girl. Offer to stay at a hotel. Yes. It's like when I know we're going to dinner and you're taking me to dinner and I offer to pay, but I'm literally right. like, if you make me pay for this, Patrick, I'll never speak to you. You know what I mean? It's that. You make me offer. So he comes to Portland. Portland, Maine, by the way. We don't want to right. confuse people. They sightsee. After a day of sightseeing, Amy and Derek drive to the old port section of Portland. Can we slow down on this for a second? Because once again, the announcer says, after a day of sightseeing. And I was like, yeah. girl, what is there to see in Portland, Maine? No offense to our listeners in Portland, Maine. I'm sure it's beautiful. But like, I don't know that I could put together a day of sightseeing in New York City for people. I mean, Portland, Maine is actually super cute. Have you been? I knew you were going to be a Portland, Maine defender. No, I just I mean, knew like, it. it. It is a really like cute town. There's What like... show did you do in rep there, Ellen? No, tell I us. didn't. I visited there. It's kind of like a cool like a foodie town like a little bit of like a hipster town it is i've been there it's a little crunchy if you guys can see her face right now she's really selling it she really wants you to like portland maine you guys it's like you know this was 2001 but like you know the the brewery scene is really big in portland maine like there's the brewery scene. Is, great there's a lot great. of open space right. You're really selling it. Portland, Maine's got a lot to offer. Space. Uh, it does. It's really, it's a cute town. I've been there. You know, probably too many people wearing Birkenstocks and having like manicured facial hair for my liking. Yeah, especially in the early 2000s, you can bet your bottom dollar. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, they're sightseeing, but she's majorly friend zoning him. But right? like still, he's going to sleep at her house that night. I just, I'm a curled up ball of like, oh God, this is so awkward. This is so awkward. So awkward. But she does the ultimate friend zone move. What does she do? She calls her mom and oh. says, come meet us for a drink. <laughs> Amy calls her mother from Eric's rental car and asks her to join them for a drink. You know shit's going bad when you're like, you know who would be a blast? <laughs> My mom. They go to like the cool part of town to go to like Ellen's favorite breweries because apparently Ellen loves the breweries in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> and they call the mom and the mom, I love her. She's me. It's like 6.30 at night. She's like, I was already in my PJs. I was not going out. Yeah. And you know, he, Eric is like, I'm going to meet the mother. It's going great. <laughs> I'm already in my pajamas. So I declined going out but she seemed really chipper said they had a good time this night really goes downhill for eric from here anyway so when the mom turns them down for a cocktail they go to this bar called foreplay f-o-r-e it just sounds so awful i just wrote nope 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 i was i said what <laughs> white man douche knucklehead jock loving white musclehead was like no we need to call this bar foreplay right. oh gross <laughs> it's so and you know they think of themselves as like a gastro pub portland is known for those <laughs> okay wait but one thing oh that she God. says when she passes on the night out for drinks yeah i told her i loved her which typically is how we end most of the conversations and um, i'm glad i did because that was the last thing back that she said to me that I ever heard. So, so I love you too, Mom. Oh, you guys always say I love you when you get off the phone. I know. Always say I love you. I love you, girl. I love you so much. <laughs> Even though you literally drive me crazy. But we do always say I love you before we get off the phone. We do. Usually you're like, okay, I gotta go love you, bye. Literally in one <laughs> sentence. 
like you I, make me sound like the world's worst person. No, but like you have a very very short phone life, and as soon That's as true. yeah, as soon as the voice starts to peak upwards, I know uh-huh. I'm done for. So I know if I have something that I need to get in, I gotta get it in right away. You're like anyway, and I'm like oh okay wait wait I gotta tell you ten more things. Remember I called you two days in a row during quarantine, and you're like what is happening? Yes, Are you yes, okay? yes, absolutely. And one day you were like hey just calling to say hi. Which I'm not being hyperbolic, you guys. He hasn't done in 15 years. <laughs> I hate the phone. I hate talking on the phone. Quarantine Patrick loves the phone. <laughs> Amy and Eric go to the four-play sports bar. Amy suggests a game of pool. And a couple of young men soon join them. Eric described the two guys that he and Amy met at the four-play pool hall. Almost as if they were pool sharks, uh, being very good at pool, being very good at talking to Amy, kind of maybe ladies' men kind of a thing, kind of a situation. So this is where it all starts to spiral for Eric, because, like, these two dudes come over to them and, like, want to play pool. And, of course, Amy's, like, super into it. And Eric, they just describe him as, like, they didn't say this. I added this for color, but I think it's true because it's what I would do. He just, like, decided to go sit and sulk at their table and just stare at them playing pool. I wrote, Eric goes and pouts in the corner. Like, I just see him with, like, his folded arms. Arms being like, man. Eric Rubite stayed off to the side. He didn't play pool, uh, but he stayed off to the side and watched. I'm so Eric, by the way. Like, I'm so the Eric. I'm like, I'm going to go on a date with this really cute person that I'm really into. And we get on the date and I realize I'm just paying for stuff, but they're doing it with other people. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was like me in high school. I had a crush on this boy on the soccer team and he told me he liked another girl. I was like, yeah, I'll help you get that girl. Of course. <laughs> So Eric and Amy leave foreplay to go to the pavilion, which is like apparently the cool. I mean, Ellen, I'm sure you probably know all about it. It's like the cool <laughs> dance club in Portland. <laughs> you love it there. They know you. Pavilion's like my second favorite place in Portland. I'm not going to lie. Um, you guys, I've been there once. So we meet Joe Laughlin, who is the chief of police, who's now giving us these details about them going to the Pavilion Dance Club. Sidebar, I actually have a very special place in my heart for all of these investigators and detectives on this one. This is one of those episodes where they do everything right. They really care. They work really hard. They get answers. Like, you guys, at the end of this, we find out what happens. Like, these these police guys worked really hard. Yeah. But right away, we're right back to Eric sulking in the corner because guess who doesn't like to dance you know eric is not a a dancer so they get a couple of drinks and amy wanted to dance and she sees the same same gentleman that were at the uh the other bar and she ends up going out and and dancing with those guys uh off and on he doesn't like to dance but he's like sure i'll take you to the club and pay for all the drinks and such an eeyore (laughs) and your cover he's such an eeyore oh my god it literally says he roams around the nightclub (laughs) Can you just imagine this sweet little man just like, sorry I bothered you. So the other people that have come to the pavilion are those other two, quote, pool sharks. And Amy is dancing with one of them. And like with one of them, she's getting like really kissy cozy. Doing a little bump and grind, if you will. Eric notices that Amy and one of the guys she met playing pool seem to be hitting it off. 
This kid flew all the way from Fort Myers to watch this girl make out with somebody I know. So, so, oh, God. That really is sad. So they have last call, and Eric tells us between 1245 and 1, he goes to the bathroom, which has a really long line because it's last call. So he comes out of the bathroom after however many minutes, and you guys, Amy and these other guys are just gone. He looked inside, and he looked outside. He said he walked around the block, could not find him. And that's when he started to become concerned. I think he thought that she just took off and left him. When I watched that happen, I had like a million emotions at once. Because we we know how this ends. This does not end well. But also, in the moment, Eric must just be like, what the fuck? He just arrived today. They've been, quote, sightseeing in Portland. (laughs) He has to go, like, watch this girl play pool. Then he takes her to a club. And now he goes to the bathroom for five seconds and she just abandons him. Right. And he takes a lap around outside. And Danny Young, who is the um, head detective of the Portland Police Department. Yeah, he's great. So this is the start of my Danny Love Fest because he says, so he's starting to get concerned. (laughs) That's when he started to become concerned. (laughs) He has the thickest Boston accent. I know. And I wrote, are you starting? (laughs) Starting to get concerned. Wait until he says toll taker a hundred times in a row. Oh God, it's so good. And there's one that's like actually my favorite. It's coming up here. But I love Danny. So that's Danny Young. Uh, So he does a lap around the outside. Yeah. Does not find her. He does a, a thorough search. Because the thing is, he has all of her stuff in his car. And again, this is like in the last episode or whenever it was when you really educated us on like the timeline of cell phones and texting remember you had like at your fingertips like the statistics of the number of texts people sent in like 2002 girl overachieving but he says like he's got her backpack which probably has all her shit in it like her wallet and her cell phone and everything so he like if he leaves she doesn't have anything she doesn't have any and they're 40 miles from her apartment with amy's purse backpack and cell phone still in his car Eric drives to her apartment, 40 miles south of Portland. My first thought was, how does she not have her cell phone? I know. But in 2001. Same. I know. The only thing you had your cell phone for was to call your mom. <laughs> yeah. In 2001, it was like $3.75 a minute to make a call. So you were going to make totally. sure that call was like definitely well worth it. So yeah. So it was totally fine that she like didn't bring her cell phone into the club. Yeah. And so he like without knowing what else to do, he just like leaves. Yeah. He drives back to her place, which is 40 miles away. And I don't think that he was trying to abandon her. I think in his mind, the same thing I would be thinking which is like she left me you know totally agree and so he's got nowhere to stay because this douche didn't spring for a hotel so he does this thing where he gets back to her apartment he walks in the front door there's no one there we're told that he doesn't feel comfortable staying in the apartment so he goes and sleeps in his car i would have done the same thing everyone's like that's really weird i'm like no that's exactly what i would have done he told us uh, that he wasn't really comfortable being there so he said he spent the evening in his vehicle. I'm not going like, to go sleep in this person's apartment when they're not. Like, what do you do? Yeah, he, they didn't know each other well. I, I actually didn't think that was that weird either. He slept in the car. He felt awkward. And he was probably pissed. It's 2 a.m. at this point. Yeah. And so he wakes up the next morning. He goes inside. She's still not there. He takes a shower. He returns her stuff. And then, according to Amy's sister, leaves her a very mean note. Which I was like, <laughs> Which, yeah. <laughs> He left her a note, basically kind of a not very nice note, you know, just being like, where did you go? I lost you. What happened to you? I would be so mad, too. (laughs) He, like, flew all this way to be with her, even though she doesn't owe him anything. Like, 
Could you not leave a guy stranded in the middle of Portland as awesome as it is, Ellen? <laughs> totally. Poor Eric. So no one hears from her Sunday. And Danny, my favorite, says, we called a phone. No answer. Um, no answer. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. Called a phone. No answer. Oh, God. It's so rich. But yeah, so then we get this like 10 minutes of like everyone being like, no one heard from her. Monday morning rolls around. She doesn't show up to work. She's got a big presentation that day. Like, it's just completely out of character. This is the other thing, too. Like, I I don't know. I mean, I've never been in this situation, but like, they they don't immediately call the police. Yeah, they don't call the police till Monday night. Yeah. So they spend all day Monday, like, putting out missing persons posters. And a picture of my daughter and said missing at the top of it and had her height, weight, eye color, hair color, last known place that she was seen. I kept thinking that she was going to see the poster and just laugh at us and be like, I just saw myself on a missing poster. What's going on? And it's heartbreaking. The mom is like, here I am looking at a poster that I just made of my kid's face with the word missing above it. Like that I cannot imagine. Yeah, it just must be so surreal. I mean, even the sister said something that resonated so much with me. She said, we half expected her to be like, did you guys put out missing persons flyers of me? Totally. What are you guys doing? I told, you know, they just thought it was all a big misunderstanding. The reality of it just probably just doesn't lock in, you know? Yeah, so the mom finally reports her missing. The cops are all in immediately. They're learning about her. And the most important thing they say they can do is like track down the witnesses. They want to find everybody who saw her that night, especially Eric. Eric is the one they want to talk to the most, obviously, because as far as we know right now, he was the last person to see her. Right, which was actually very easy because Eric had a rental car and the rental car had on <laughs> So right away, we knew that he had a rental car, rental vehicle, and that it had OnStar. So we contacted OnStar. The rental car had OnStar, so they contacted <laughs> OnStar. But wait, you know that I've got a ton of questions here because the cops, thanks to the OnStar, they're able to track him down. His car is in downtown Portland. They go and stake out the car and wait for him to come back. We didn't really have a a very good description of Rubrite. We didn't know what he looked like. We didn't have a picture of him. So uh, we decided at that point to kind of sit on the vehicle. Ellen, this is two days after this girl ditched him at a bar. What is he still doing in Portland? Girl, why are you still there? And did you finally learn how to make a hotel reservation? He, he, was he still in his car? Does he need help opening a jar? Does he have a wicked bad scar? His behavior was bizarre. Did you leave your door ajar? Do you want me to have a seminar? We knew that he had a rental car and that it had OnStar. Okay, anyway, he's moping around Portland going to some, you know, brewery and, you know, getting a tattoo or something. Well, he definitely probably did hit one of the breweries because the cops say we could tell when they meet him at the car, he's been drinking. I know, but like, how rude. Whatever, I've had a couple Chardonnays. What of it? Leave him alone. It's also 1030 at night. He flew all the way here from Sarasota or whatever. He got ditched by this girl. Of course he's out drinking. Leave the man alone. Exactly. So they intercept him with the answer and they intercept him and they ask, obviously, to come in and answer some questions, which he completely complies with. Yeah. And um, he sits and this brings in my favorite detail of documentaries, which is what? I don't know. What? Interrogation video. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Amy wanted to know if I wanted to go to the dance club so she could go dancing with this guy. Sure, you know, whatever, it's fine. 
that's what happened and we lost each other. But he sits down and he's talking to the cops, like just giving them all the details. And the cops say to us, like, you know, he was providing us with a lot of checkable information. Like, this is great. And so he tells us, this is like my favorite detail. He tells us that after he like left the club when he couldn't find Amy, he stopped for gas. Then he gets on the main turnpike and I wrote, or tries to because he pulls up to the toll booth and he realizes he only has 15 cents in his pocket and girl I'm going to need you to say it 87,000 times because these cops and their Boston accents keep referring to the female toll taker. There was a female toll taker there and he told her that he didn't have any money but he needed to use her road to go home. So he tries to barter with the toll taker basically beg his way onto the turnpike so that he can get southbound. And the toll taker told him to go ahead and and go without paying the toll. The toll taker. Listen, (laughs) they got the toll taker. He said how he didn't have enough cash. He had 15 cents on him. She lets him go without paying the toll. He tried to barter. He tried to barter with the toll taker. Listen, he was in his rental car with the OnStar (laughs) trying to barter with the toll taker. So after they interrogate Eric, he's seemingly entirely cooperative. Yeah. They get a call from three men. They were at an old port bar on Monday night, and they saw her picture on a flyer. Eager to speak to police, the men flagged down a patrol car. They agreed to go to the Portland police station, where they share some remarkable news with detectives. Because remember, like, those missing persons posters that they made? They worked because these three guys see the poster of Amy. And they, these are, we will come to learn, these are the three guys, the, the pool sharks and the ones that like went to the dance place with her. Right. And they are so freaked out by like the fact that they know that they saw her the night that she went missing that they actually flag down a patrol car with, yep. this, it's like, it's me, like, ah, ah, Yeah. Ah. <laughs> and they, like, that would literally be, I got a tire or something! <laughs> But so the cops, like, they take these three guys down to the station to then also be interrogated. And again, they are completely cooperative with everything. So we meet our friend Jeff Russ Gorman. They tell us that we were with her. We were with her on this particular night. And our friend here, Jeff, who came in as well, is the one who gave her a ride. Jeffrey Russ Gorman is the man who Eric Rubright told detectives was paying the most attention to Amy. The thing about this Jeffrey Ross Gorman guy is that of the three guys, he was the one that was like hanging out with Amy the most. And because this guy Jeff Gorman is the last one to see her, he gets his own special interrogation. So they sit down with him and he's saying like, you know, he's like recounting his story. And basically his story is that she was saying, I couldn't find my friend that I came with. He's got my keys. So he, this guy Jeff, invites her to a quote after hours party at their apartment and i was like oh god uh, we all know what that is that's not a yeah, part no one else is gonna that, be there no one is gonna be there and guess who was there who no one oh. <laughs> russ gorman tells investigators that after amy loses track of eric rubright he invites her to an after hours party at their apartment she didn't have her purse or her cell phone any longer she didn't have her ride out of the city any longer he said there were going to be several people at 
at a residence over on Brighton Avenue that they rented. Uh, and it's so disgusting. Like, you know, it's just an apartment in Portland, Maine that these three gross guys, Ugh. they rented together. You know, that bathroom is fucking filthy. The laundry is never done. They've got milk crates as nightstands totally. covered with like a tapestry. <laughs> and she like agrees to go. And it's like, obviously, she's not here to tell us her side of the story. But like from all accounts, she gets there. And when it like a party doesn't materialize, she like gets uncomfortable and wants to leave. When she was ready to go back, she told him that, you know, she'd like a ride back into town. And Gorman offered to take her back to the airport, back to the pavilion to find her friend, Eric Rubright. And this is so garbagey. He's like, I agreed to take her back to the club and we were driving there and I didn't even put my car in park and she opens the door and she says, um, I hope you remember my name. I'm going to call you tomorrow. And she leaves. Yeah. Now, even if this story were true, this dirtbag leaves this young girl in the middle of nowhere, right. no phone, no keys, no wallet, just leaves her there, doesn't right. wait to see if her friend shows up, or just fucking drive her the 40 miles back to her town himself. Like, right. this is not a great cover story, dude. Right. I and said, dude, I said I was really mad. Yeah, you were really mad. You were bro I was scared of you for a moment there. <laughs> so he says exactly what you said, which is like my nightmare, drops her off, and he attacks that he was back snug as a bug in a rug in his apartment at 2 a.m. Yes. That is his timeline. Gorman tells us that he brings her back to the Pavilion nightclub and, and barely puts the brakes on, stops out front, and she gets out, you know, 20 minutes later and, and, and goes back into the club. According to Gorman, he's back home in bed by 2 a.m. And that was the last time he ever saw Amy St. Laurent. And then it cuts immediately to the detectives. They're like, we didn't really like this guy. He was kind of cocky. Yeah, kind of cocky. They said he was casual, <laughs> cocky, confident. He was cocky. He sat right back and he answered the questions. And when you watch that interrogation video, he actually does seem remarkably chill. One might say, like, sociopathically chill. <laughs> One might. So Danny says he just got a bad feeling. He just had a bad feeling about it. I didn't have a good feeling about him. But then, like, the next day, there's, like, a big break in the case. They get surveillance video, which shows Eric buying gas at 1.36 in the morning, which verifies his alibi. And he told us that he was alone getting gas and that he went in, paid for it, and got a soda and a candy or something. All that was true. So every little detail of what he said was true. So Eric's not the guy. Eric is totally cleared. So this is when they start looking into this guy, Gorman, the one that was like invited her to the party and then like dickishly dropped her off. His name is Jeff Russ Gorman and they call him Russ Gorman. They call him Jeff Gorman. They call him Gorman. We're just going to stick to Gorman. Great. Yes. So they start looking into his background and they see that like, whoa, this guy's got like a rap sheet a mile long. He's a violent kid. He's been in trouble his whole life. He once like beat up his own mother right after robbing the next door neighbor's house. It's like, girl. And he also also had some unreported sexual assaults. Yeah, including like alleged date rape. The cops tracked down all these women who say they were ha having, quote, non-consensual sex. And he's like a rapey sexual predator. Like this guy's a total horrible dirtbag. And so the cops, who at this point have like really come to like feel like they know and love Amy. Yeah. They are like, this is no good. It would have been like oil and water. He and Amy in the same car together. And we, we realized this was a major problem. 
and that it didn't look good. And to your point that you made before, these detectives were really, really checking everything out to the point where they had people come in several times. Yeah. They re-interview Gorman's roommate and his roommate actually then recants yeah. and says, actually, I can't verify that he came home at 2 a.m. No, and then a different roommate is spilling all the tea. It's like, girls, yep. where have you been? A different roommate says that he came home at 4 in the morning. Gorman was was in the bathroom washing up, clearly still fully dressed. And at that time, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning. Washing up, totally dressed, washing his hands, not in night clothes, 4 a.m. So they decide to bring Gorman in again. Yeah. And when they drag him into the station, this bitch has completely changed his look. He shaved his head. He's gotten tattoos. Girl, not suspicious at all. He's like, you know what Scott Peterson did once? Right. I'm going to try that. <laughs> Let me try changing my entire appearance. So the Portland Police Department, they play a sneaky trick. They say on November 27th, they make a bolder move, releasing a statement to the media that points a finger directly at him. They decide to use the media. So they they do this thing where they go to the media and hold a press conference. You got to remember, this story is like front page news all over Portland. Right. And they don't give a name, but they say, look, we know who was the last person that was with her. And he claims that he dropped her off at the nightclub and was home in bed by 2 a.m. And we know that that story is a lie. And the whole point of telling that story was so that the people close to him would start to like be really suspicious and it works like, you know we learn that like all of a sudden everyone in Portland is like knows it's this guy yep. where is Amy the entire city of Portland is turning on him and he's totally starting to crack he was cracking I think that he was very stressed he was gonna make a move he was gonna do something here because we weren't going away. He starts drinking, using drugs, and just before Thanksgiving, he hightails it out of Portland, Maine, back to his hometown of Troy, Alabama. Yeah, and like, the cops are saying to us, you know, at first we wanted to stop that. We didn't want him to, like, flee. Right. And then they said, like, we didn't have enough evidence to prohibit him from traveling, so we just thought we'd travel with him. Which is like, uh, that's great, and what they did for this young woman is incredible. I think that there are a lot of factors that go into why they cared so much about her. Young, pretty white woman but like and also like was were there no other like cases for them to be working on at the time like was this their sole focus let me tell you with a little bit of research (laughs) (laughs) though in the state of maine portland does have the highest crime rate crime rate in portland is 25 percent lower than the national average oh so it isn't a high crime rate in fact last year they only reported two murders in the entire city of Portland. Why are so, you here? You should be doing a journalism podcast. Where's the girl that I went to college with that like we would get a project assigned nine months ahead of time and then like 15 minutes before it's due, we're like sitting in the cafeteria trying to eat our chicken sandwiches and, and write a 14-page report. Where'd that girl go? The internet happened. Right. Well, and true. everything is at my goddamn fingertips. Let's let him go. Because if he goes, he's going to talk. He's going to run his mouth. And then we'll just follow him and talk to everybody that he talks to. It was a gamble I guess they had to take at the time to make sure that they could 
nail this person if they could. But so they follow him. They follow him to this town of Troy, Alabama. And they're like, you know, this guy's a mess. He's like a drinker. And I'm like, sticks and stones, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, he's going to run his mouth. So like, we're just going to like follow him around. And whoever he talks to, we're going to go talk to them. So randomly, just on a hunch, on a random day in December, Danny Young, my favorite detective, yeah. runs a check on his car. Weeks earlier, Danny Young ran a routine check on Russ Gorman's car through the National Crime Information Center. The results have just come in. This police detective did this totally normal thing where he's like, I'm going to run his plates, basically. Yeah. And it takes like four weeks for him to get the report back on this. Why is it taking that long? Why? Yeah, that was weird. Where's your stats on that, Ellen Marsh? Yeah. <laughs> well, it turns out that the <laughs> Department of Motor Vehicles in the state of... Ma- no, what, what, what? Founded in 1927, the Department of Motor... <laughs> No, but truly, that was my big, like, huh, of this episode. Because what it's turned up is exactly what they would have needed to have not let him leave in the first place. Which is what? They find out that on the night that she went missing, he got pulled over at like 3.15 in the morning. Ellen, why did he get pulled over? A headlight violation! The report states that at 3.14 on Sunday morning, Russ Gorman was pulled over by police in the city of Westbrook for a headlight violation. if you're going to murder people, this happened to Ted Bundy. Yep. This happened to Israel Keys. Yeah. All of these people who murder these people and think they're going to get away with it get pulled over for these moving violations. And I'm glad. I, listen, I'm glad you're an idiot. I'm glad that your headlights don't work. Yeah. But like, oh my God. Um, A headlight violation. I mean, I kind of love that. It's like nothing violent. It's nothing crazy. It's just why is one of your headlights out? It's a fix-it ticket. But it's all the evidence the cops need to say his stories. He was home in bed by 2 a.m. We know that's a lie. Gorman being stopped at 3.14 a.m. tells us that he wasn't in bed at 2 a.m. like he said he was. Okay, but now this is the craziest thing that we find out. What did Gorman borrow from his mom's boyfriend? Okay, this is another thing. I'm literally sweating. This is another thing I can't fucking handle. Two days after Amy goes missing, Gorman borrows a shovel from his mother's boyfriend. Gorman, girl, if you're going to murder somebody... Buy a shovel. How much does a shovel cost? $25? You're going to borrow a shovel? Are you fucking kidding me? Look, it sounds like I'm mad that he got caught. I'm not. I'm thrilled that he got caught. It's just exasperating that like somebody so stupid could snuff out the life of somebody with so much promise. That's what I'm really mad about. Agreed. So then we find out six weeks after Amy went missing on Monday, December 3rd, the main warden service reaches out to the police. The main warden service handles searches, especially... uh, lost hunters, people lost in the woods. So they're very good at searching. And they contacted our investigators and offered to help and are trying to locate Miss St. Laurent. This service is a really big deal. Like, they are internationally recognized as an organization that, like, can track people through the woods. Because, you know, we're told that, like, finding a body in the woods is really hard. Finding a body that we now know is buried because he borrowed the shovel is, like, impossible. But if anyone's going to do it, it's this group of heroes. And the part of the woods that they really focus on is near Gorman's mom's house. Yeah, there's, like, this access road behind the house that, like, leads down to a pond where they 
they know he goes fishing. So at about 2.30 p.m., one of the people steps on a piece of earth that just feels... Can you imagine being... So, like, you're you're in the woods so often, your foot can tell the difference between, like, solid earth and, like, slightly not solid earth. That's a an area of expertise that is not for yeah. me. <laughs> that is not your ministry. <laughs> he could quote several Golden Girls episodes, but he ain't going to find loose earth in the woods. <laughs> One member of the search and rescue team steps on a patch of loose earth. They'd walk between two pine trees, and that the ground up until that point was pretty solid. And all of a sudden, the ground was soft. So they bring the dogs the cadaver to the dogs. area. The cadaver dogs, the baby angels. Yeah. And Danny, Danny Young, um, my favorite, digs what he calls a test hole yeah. to check the soil there. And he pull. oh, God, I just get chills. He pulls out of the soil the gray sweatshirt. I dug down through short distance into the dirt um, on one end, and um, I felt something soft. I cleaned out a little bit and picked it up, and it was the edge of um, a gray sweatshirt. The hair would stand up on the back of your neck as everything comes together and you realize this is going to be it. Yeah, and the fact that like the lead detective on the case was the one to actually put his hand, oh, now I'm getting chills, Yeah, to put his like hand into the ground and actually sort of recover the body. Right. It's not a happy moment. I mean, everyone's happy that there's going to be closure for the family, but for all of these people had grown really attached to her. Yeah. So the thing that we learned, so they, they this is terrible, you guys. They do an autopsy, obviously, and we find out that like she died a really brutal death. She had a gunshot wound to the head, her face was basically bashed in. Her underwear was like down at her ankle. So they assume that there was a sexual assault. But the other thing that's really tragic is that the body was in such a state of decomposition that there was no way of being able to get DNA from it to pin it on Gorman, like, which means they found the body and that's great. It's closure for the family. But now all of the evidence against Gorman is still just circumstantial. Forensically speaking, that autopsy, very little was able to be saved or maintained so much had wasted away and was not able to be sampled until december 9th we find out that russ gets a call from his mother back in maine so remember russ is still down in alabama and his mom calls him and tells him like girl the police were here overnight they dug up the body they exhumed it like they found it you're busted and apparently russ immediately confesses to his mother and tells this like banana story about how he and amy were out walking around the pond and she said something that he didn't like so he like punched her in the face and then shot her and killed her the whole point of this confession is that the mother then goes and tells a friend and this is really important she tells a friend that he confessed to her his mother repeats her son's murder confession to a friend who in turn calls the police we now had amy we now had a cause of death and we now had a a reason beyond just speculation of because where the body was found that Gorman did it because now we're finding out that he's actually told somebody he did it. Uh, and the friend calls the cops. <laughs> the friend is like, okay, bye, girl. And then like, boop, 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 calls 911. Is like, girl, I know who did it. Yeah, and then we note that his behavior becomes super erratic. Clearly the pressure was on and he was feeling it because his demeanor and his activities down there were changing. On December 11th, Gorman pulls a gun outside a sandwich shop 
claiming that a man was staring at him. So, so, so the guy who gets the gun pulled on him calls the cops, and the cops track him down to his house, where it goes from zero to a million. All of a sudden, Russ is in an armed standoff with the police, holding the gun to his head, threatening suicide. The cops are like, girl, just come out with your hands yeah. up, girl. Ultimately, the police in Troy, Alabama get involved, and they isolate him to a house where he holds two guns to his head. And he's in a standoff for, for several hours with the Troy, Alabama police. Gorman keeps police at bay for six hours. Yeah, six hour standoff. And he eventually, like, allows himself to be arrested. He surrenders. And, Thank you, that's um, the word. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> What's the word for allows yourself to be arrested? <laughs> Finally, he surrenders and is extradited back to Maine. So um, he's extradited back to Maine. Yeah. Where he faces charges. So the key witness is who? So, yeah, the key witness is his mother. So what happens is... Yeah, a grand jury is impaneled. And I'm obsessed with grand juries because grand juries are the ones that like hear the evidence and make a decision as to whether or not to indict. Yeah. So it's all secret. No one's allowed to know what happens. It's not like a real court thing. But there's a grand jury is impaneled and the mother is called to testify. And she, with the threat of like prosecution of her, she has to like tell the court about the the confession. And she sings like a canary. (laughs) Knowing she could face contempt of court and jail time if she doesn't testify. Gorman's mother, Tammy Westbrook, gives a full account of her son's confession. An indictment was indeed voted on against him and um, charging him with murder. This like long, rambling, emotional confession. So of course the grand jury is like, yes, indict this bitch. And they go to court. The only witness they have against him to prove that he fucking did this is his mother to whom he confessed. She gets up on the stand and all of a sudden, total amnesia. She tells us she can't remember. She can't remember what she said in that grand jury room. I don't remember the grand jury. I don't remember the judge. I don't remember my attorney. I don't remember saying anything. It was almost, almost became like an out-of-body experience. It's like you can't even really believe that you're sitting there hearing the things that you're hearing. Amnesia. She zips it. Yeah. She's like, don't remember it. Don't remember saying it. Don't remember the confession. Don't remember you. Don't remember the grand jury. Don't remember the lawyer. I don't remember you. I don't remember me. But the hero judge is like, girl, you already told this to your friend. Yep. This is why we're all here in the first place. None of this is secret. This is not protected information. If you don't remember... Let me refresh your memory, bitch. Yeah. I'm going to play the tape of your confession to the grand jury. Played the tape. I know. And we don't get to hear it. We don't have it. But according no. to the cops, there was not a dry eye in the house. When that tape was played, you could hear a pin drop. That mother, the pain in her voice of describing her son confessing to killing Amy St. Laurent. It was believable. It was true. I remember looking at the jury's face when they were listening to all this and they couldn't look at Russ Gorman. So with that, with that, I mean, thank goodness for that judge pulling up that audio. Yeah. Jeff Russ Gorman was sentenced to 60 years in prison for the murder of Amy St. Laurent. Yeah. And it ends. We find out there's a book that was called Finding Amy and her family started a foundation, the Amy St. Laurent Foundation. Which it was founded to provide like personal safety and self-defense courses for women. And the mom is like, this is how I started my healing process. When I got on the idea of the foundation, it was something that would preserve her memory. But I also think that it was a way for me to heal. 
Yeah, so the mission of the foundation is to educate mostly women, but it's open to children and men. Um, I went to the website. It's it's still going to this day, and they're really focused on the awareness and the prevention of crimes, but they also do teach self-defense. It's taught at the Portland Police Station, and the foundation is really beautiful. On the first page, Diane Jenkins, who is Amy's mother, says, this is a quote from the website. It says, when we lost Amy, it was by the hands of another and was brutal, cruel, and senseless. If you are a woman and have loved ones important to you, please, for your sake and theirs, learn how to protect yourself. Uh. I know, I have chills. The foundation is, I'm sure we can put it on the website, it's amystlaurentfoundation.org. Yeah, for sure. They do accept donations and all of their classes have a suggested donation. So if you want to go and you can't afford it, you can still go. It's a really beautiful way that this mom turned this tragic event around to help other women. Oh my God, I love you. Thank you for doing all that research on the website, girl. Uh Episode three, Amy St. Laurent. Oh my God. We're only on season one and I'm already on medication for heart palpitations. <laughs> I really... You guys don't forget, stay tuned to the end of this episode and hear our outtakes. Our outtakes are crazy. The outtakes for this one are going to be like super crazy. Girl, tell them where they can find us on the social meds. They can find us. We are having so much fun on our social media page, you guys. I am really making Patrick engage. We're doing lives. We're doing all kinds of fun stuff. You can find us on Instagram at the Disappeared Pod. And you can find us on Twitter at Disappeared Pod. No, the. And you can find Patrick, the cutest little dumpling in the whole world, on Instagram <laughs> at Patrick Hines underscore and on Twitter at Patrick Hines. You guys could try to get Ellen to 10,000 followers on Twitter. Good luck with that. At Ellen Marsh. Uh- same on the Instagram. Oh my God, the shade. Where her following's a little bit higher, but still like doesn't have the swipe up, if you know what I mean. Help a girl out. <laughs> Please Give help her a girl follow. out. All I want is the swipe up. Is that so much to ask for? That's all I want. Uh, you guys, we're super excited to tell you we are going live on our Instagram page this Friday and every single Friday. It's The Disappeared Pod, 6 p.m. We call it Friday Night Live. We're doing it just to hang out with you and to talk about the case and take your questions and just sort of like, you know, hang. So 6 p.m. Eastern, Every Friday night. Can you tell the people about the ID stuff? Yes. All of the episodes for IDs Disappeared are available for streaming now on ID Go. And even more, the first episode of Disappeared is streaming for free on ID Go. So go check them out so you can watch along and know all these crazy stories that we are talking about. Moreover, Patrick is obsessed with a new digital series called The Missing, which is available on Facebook Watch with new episodes that post every Tuesday on ID's Facebook page. So run over there and check those out because you know Patrick's going to make a podcast about that. I mean, come on. <laughs> I really am obsessed with The Missing. I love it. They're like 10 minutes long. You're like, I'm just going to watch this for a second. And then all of a sudden you've like watched four of them. You can't help it. Oh, that. girl, I can do that with anything. I am the worst. <laughs> um, I love you. I hate doing this on FaceTime. I want to. Oh, I'm in the studio and I'm looking at your hat. The episode two was the last one that we recorded in person. Yeah. When you wore the sweater to our sweltering, our sweltering studio. Sweltering. You left your hat here. So I feel like you're a little bit here in Aww, person. I love you. We're just across the river, but so close get so far. I know. I love you. All right, I love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Goes to the bathroom, which has a really long line because it's last call. All the guys are, you know, draining their dragons. Oh, and, my God. Um, what I say? Is it draining their dragons? Um, Leaking the lizard? Can you just say peeing? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
So OnStar was um, actually founded in 1996 by GM. What? <laughs> Your level of research is really unparalleled in the podcasting industry. I got to tell you. Well, no, because I thought to myself, when I heard that it had OnStar, I thought, oh, did they? That it had what? OnStar. <laughs> didn't know when GPSs became a thing because now they're in our phone. Yeah. I think all of this information is amazing. I'm going to correct you on one thing. I think the plural of GPS is GPS. What did I say? GPSs. Okay. <laughs> I mean, listen, the rental crab with the orange jar. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> and it's rental car with his on star with its old ticket. Do you have a car? What does it mean to have your car detailed? When you get your car, it's like a deep clean bumper to bumper. They clean the carpets. <laughs> they clean the steering wheel. They got the carpets. <laughs> and just just for the fun of it, you guys, they actually, they tracked down the toll taker. They tracked down the toll taker. Everything cleared. They said he just seemed like a guy who uh, was trying to get home. And he bought it. He's trying to bother. She's like, don't bother. Go through the toll. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm obsessed. 